Hello everyone and welcome to this edition of the Grumpy Pony podcast. In this edition I'm going to be talking to Joe McCullough who is the creator and rules writer for Frostgrave and the upcoming Stargrave and Oathmark as well. So um, a really nice guy sat down with me and we got a chance to chat over all the things that he likes about gaming so it's much more of a narrative um, narrative gaming that he goes for and his games really sort of uh, highlight that um, so it's really nice to sit down with him and talk about all the stuff that he really loves as well so without further ado let's get right to it thanks very much everyone hi joe and welcome to the grumpy pony podcast thanks very much for joining me oh, thanks for having me on no worries at all so for anyone that doesn't know you um joe is responsible for writing things like Frostgrave, um, am I right in saying Oathmark as well? Yeah, that's mine. And with the and the upcoming Stargrave as well. So um gonna be sitting down and chatting with Joe about that today. So first things first, Joe, um how did you get into sort of writing rules in the first place for games? Because I know there's a lot of guys that that come into my shop and they're always talking about, oh, I'm writing rules for this and that, and they right. start scribbling down their own things. But how did you get into it sort of professionally? Um, kind of backwards. Uh, <laughs> so for, for a long time, I thought I wanted to be a writer, uh, you know, a fiction writer. Yeah. Um, so I spent a lot of years uh, doing that and, and not getting real far, in, in all honesty. Um, and I ended up going to work for Osprey Publishing. And um, over the years, I, I actually wrote a few books for them in... Um, not in their military line, but I wrote a book on zombies and I wrote a book on, on dragon slayers and, and kind of various things. Um, so I kind of transitioned from being a fiction writer into a nonfiction writer. Um, and all this time, I, I've been a gamer. I've been a gamer my entire life, uh, starting with role playing and then getting more heavily into kind of wargaming when I uh, moved to Britain 15 years ago. Um, and at this time, as I was working at Osprey, uh, Osprey Games was kind of growing as its own entity. Osprey put out a couple of war games, uh, Field of Glory and um, a couple others. Um, and one day I was I was sitting there talking to Bill Smith, who's now the head of Osprey Games at, at the time, was in charge of the line. Um, and I was basically complaining about how there was no game that, that kind of did everything I wanted. You know, I wanted... Yeah. Uh, game with heavy campaign elements and I wanted a lot of magic and I wanted a lot of treasure and um, and I think he just basically got tired of listening to me and said well fine just write your own rules and if they're any good I'll publish them <laughs> so I did I just went off and like while I had done a lot of writing up to that point and I'd done a lot of gaming up to that point I hadn't really put them together um, you know I'd, I'd done my own kind of scribbled rules here and there but I'd never thought of really writing a rule set but but i went away and did it and um you know and i think it was great at that time because there was there was really no pressure on it at all you know i wasn't yeah. doing it professionally and i wasn't really doing it with an eye towards oh i'm gonna get published um so i think that gave me a lot of freedom to kind of just oh, i'm gonna do whatever i want and, and be crazy with it and um luckily as it turns out my kind of gaming crazy is you know shared by a enough other people that yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was worth publishing and, uh, and you know credit to to phil when when i did turn it in you know he 
liked it enough and thought enough of it to to really make a big deal out of it, you know, to really get some some really good artwork done for it and and to talk to North Star and getting some miniatures done for it. And, yeah. You know, so. So was it was it a bit of a trial and error process as well, though? So did you just sort of know when it was done or was it a, a sort of a constant sort of tweaking for the first edition? Um, so before I set out to write it, I, I had a, a couple, a few weeks of kind of thinking and um, and most of that thinking revolved around the combat system because I thought, you know, if I can nail the combat system, since that's most of what happens in a war game, then, then I'll be OK. And um, and I got to thinking, like, how do I want that to work? I, I decided early on I wanted to use a D20, um, partly because it gave a lot of range of possibilities. So mathematically, it's useful, but also because it tied it back to kind of classic role playing. You know, the D20 is a role playing yeah. die traditionally, and, and I wanted to give the game some of that feel. Um, and once I'd worked that out, and um, I basically wrote the game in kind of a well, I, my wife and I went went on a trip to the Lake District for two weeks, and I, I wrote basically the game from the introduction to the end, just over those two weeks. And um, and while there was playtesting and and a lot of tweaks after that, really, really the game was written in those two weeks, and yeah. um, everything else was just just polishing. Um, so, so yeah, it's 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 never been that easy since then, to be honest. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like I think it's some ways kind of like, yeah, I think it's one of those things where, like, in my head, I'd been writing the game my entire life. Yeah. So, and by the time I actually sat down, and, and I think because I'd had a lot of practice as a writer, the actual writing of the words wasn't too hard. Yeah. So it really just flowed out. Whereas I think a lot of guys who want to be uh, game designers, a lot of guys who are game designers, haven't necessarily practiced or trained as a writer, and thus they find that process of actually getting words down on the page quite difficult yeah. and really slows them down, even if they've got the mechanics, you know, really hard. So, yeah. Just sort of that idea of communicating what you mean in these particular yeah. things as well. Yeah. I mean, in truth, if, if you've, you know, if you've gotten through college and written a bunch of essays, you got a good grounding. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in theory, that's what you're doing is you're just trying to kind of communicate your arguments uh, yeah. or rules in this case, but. But I think it's, you know, it's a big advantage to have practiced both fiction and nonfiction because I could kind of weave those elements together better. But yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I was going to say, as someone like I'm sort of I'm, I'm aware of D&D &D and I've played a little bit of D&D, &D, but I'm predominantly a war gamer. But I love the narrative side of the war game. So Frostgrave fits really good yeah. for me in that little gap, you know, where you can sort of create <laughs> your own narrative, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Growing up in the U.S. In, in the '80s, you know, Dungeons and Dragons was the dominant game. You know, if you were a, a gamer in the classic kind of, you know, I play the the other kind of games. That's that's the game you played, and um, and every kind of the entire industry kind of grew out of that. And um, so, to me, gaming was first and foremost about telling a story. Um, but I also just learned to really love painting figures. And so in some ways I got more interested in, in using the figures as the basis of that story, as opposed to kind of theater of the mind. And then, then when I moved to Britain, you know, kind of everything here kind of grows out of games workshop, even as that in a way grows out of Dungeons and Dragons, it's kind of been restarted in this country with games workshop. And so I think, 
I think I'm lucky in some ways that I've, I've gotten to really experience these two different traditions of gaming. Yeah. I think, I think my games tend to kind of bring them together. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Um, it, it's sort of good, you know, I don't know, I don't know if it was intentional at all, but the way you've sort of designed the Frostgrave and, and obviously the second edition, it's very much mm -hmm. open to the player to sort of create the story. You haven't sort of pigeonholed them into, you've picked this type of wizard, therefore you have to play yeah. it this way. <laughs> yeah, I th you know, it's funny, like, it's something I didn't discuss kind of as much as I probably should have in, in the first edition of Frostgrave. And that, that's partly because that's just the way I always gamed. And yeah. so I just kind of assumed that's the way everybody games, you know, that's the <laughs> way everybody thinks about it. And then Frostgrave comes out and I realize that's really not true. You know, that's that's a lot of people have come to gaming through through games that are much more prescribed. Yeah, you've got these characters, you've got to play it this way. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not the way I approach gaming. And so yeah. kind of as I went along and a second edition came along, I've, I've talked more about kind of my philosophy and what makes the games fun for me. And yeah, what the yeah. system is, and the system is designed to do that. I think luckily enough, people were able to kind of see that within the system of the first edition. They were able to kind of figure that out even as I hadn't spelled it out kind of in the text, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So when, um, you know, so, so, you know, creating that narrative. To, so for you personally, as a gamer, like the narrative is probably the most important. You're not, I would, it would I be safe in saying that you wouldn't be a tournament gamer? Yeah, no, I've, you know, I've, I've played in tournaments here and there because usually because I'm just desperate to get some games in, you know, yeah. and, and, the tournament is the easiest kind of way to do that. But yeah, for me, it's all about, I mean, first and foremost, it's about gathering around a table and rolling dice and laughing with people yeah. I like, you know, and and if the game doesn't do that, I'm not interested. And that's, that's why tournaments don't often work for me because they're a little too tense, you know, yeah. and intense. And, and I don't want to care whether I really win or not <laughs> in all honesty, that's, that's not important, but yeah, I want to, I want to walk away from the table going, that was fun, and I feel like a story unfolded as yeah. we played. And I, and I want an excuse to be able to kind of go home and continue to think about that story, you know? Yeah. So my wizard leveled up, and then we got this new treasure, and how am I going to change my group? And and also, like, what does that mean? Like, where am I going to go next? And, you know? And, yeah, I've, I tried very hard to, like, especially things like good and evil, you know? Frostgrave is a world that has good and evil, but... I leave it completely up to you to decide whether your wizard is good or evil or, you know, you can play a good necromancer. I'm not quite sure how, but, you know, <laughs> <The> <laughs> but if you want that. to and you want to envision that way, why, why should I step on you? You know, I want to give yeah, you as much absolutely. freedom as possible. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting you say that as well about the freedom because there's, because a lot of the sort of wider knowledge I get from these games and things is when people come and tell me about their experiences with a certain game when they've been playing it and yeah it's really interesting we've got uh, we've got one guy that comes in and he was always looking for sort of the next game to play with his son who's quite young right. and they're always looking for games to play and the interesting thing with Frostgrave is that they don't have to be against each other and right. that's, a, that's a great thing for him, like because his son doesn't want to be against his dad. He wants to play. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I just I just love the fact it provides that sort of level of 
you know, flexibility there. So you, you're, you're playing, you're not playing against the other player, you're playing against Frostgrave. Right. Yeah. yeah, and that's something like, as I've gone on, I've, I've gotten into more. I mean, I guess, you know, as I said, I was, as a role player first, I kind of wrote a, wrote a war game to kind of feed some of my old war, role playing need. Yeah. And, um, and as I've kind of gotten deeper into systems and, and things, I've tried to figure out ways to push that even farther by, yeah, using cooperative play or, or scenarios where it's really about, yeah, you versus the scenario more than, than your opponent. Yeah. Um, and just giving people different styles of, of game because, you know, any game, any game will eventually get stale if you don't have some kind of new take on it and new, yeah. new thing to try. So every time I write a supplement, I'm trying to think like, what, what new am I giving the players? You know, what's, how is their game experience going to be different than the last time they gamed? You know? yeah. Yeah. And, and that's especially true if you're not a tournament gamer, you know, the tournament gamer is about, all right, now can I tweak my army so that it's better? You know, here it's... Yeah, and how do I crunch the numbers here and things like that? But Yeah, yeah. you know, again, that's fine if, if that's the way you enjoy gaming, but it's not me. I want the next story and the next, you know, new experience, I guess. So, so when so when Frostgrave, like, second edition came about, was it... Were you sitting there thinking, I don't want to do wholesale changes, I just want to tweak things and then go forwards or what, what did you feel yeah, absolutely, I mean, absolutely. You... I mean it wasn't it wasn't even like it wasn't like a desire to produce second edition because i want a second edition you know it was it was more just i'd watched the game played for five years and i just kept seeing little kind of clunks here and there you know it's just like man if i just said X instead of Y, that part would just be a little bit smoother, you know? And and after five years, I'd built up a pretty good list of those things. And I thought, you know what, if I could, to the point where it's kind of like, well, and, and they're not things I wanted to errata because it's not things that didn't necessarily work. They worked, they just could have worked better. And I don't want to change rules just, you know, I don't want to change rules if I don't have to because yeah. it's confusing, but, um, but eventually I got enough of these that I thought, man, if I, if I put all of these in, I can produce just a much more polished system than, than I had the first time. So that, that was the real goal was just kind of, you know, and I knew people like this game. Why, you know, why mess with, I don't want to mess with the elements they like. I just want to make it just that little bit, you know, yeah. faster, more logical, more balanced, you know. And just tidy so, it up and just keep the yeah. core, but then just tidy up the edges. Yeah. So to speak. Exactly, exactly. So, and, and, and also I very much like at that point, you know, there's eight or nine supplements for the game. And like, I know the frustration as a gamer when, you know, a new edition comes out and I don't, I don't mind new editions at all. What I do mind is when the new edition invalidates all the stuff you've already bought, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> other than the core rule book, fine, you know, it's time for a new core rule book, but I don't want to have to also rebuy all 10 army books or supplements or, or whatever so i was worked really hard to make sure i'm not doing anything to mess those up so that if you've already bought those those are still relevant um yeah so um so with with, with frostgrave what was the inspiration for the actual the location of frostgrave where did that come from um i'm not a hundred percent sure i i found 
about a year ago, I actually found kind of my original little notes for the game and, and realized that originally I'd actually set it in a desert. Um, right. And but that must have been tossed out really early on. Um, and, and I can't say 100 percent like I decided to set in a frozen city because of X, but looking kind of through my life, I, I, I'm drawn to this kind of one trip I took, which um, it was really it was a Christmas present I got from my wife. Um, I, I bought us tickets to go to Tallinn, the capital of Estonia, because neither of us had ever been. You know, we barely knew where it was on a map, but I'd, I'd seen a picture of the city and I thought, oh, man, it's so medieval. It looks amazing. Um, and I thought, oh, I'll surprise her. It'll be a Valentine's Day gift. Right. Well, I gave it to her on Christmas, but to go at Valentine's Day. And um, of course, knowing nothing about Estonia, I didn't think, you know, Baltic country in the middle of February is going to be really cold. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, like, so we, we flew to, to Germany to, to fly on to there. And like in Germany, they're like de-icing the plane to get yeah. us there. And we fly into a snowstorm, essentially, and land. And, you know, that night we were there, like a foot of snow fell and stayed the entire week we were there. And it, it never got above zero the entire time we were there. And, um, and actually that turned out to be amazing because it meant the city was like empty. There were no tourists, yeah. you know, you could go anywhere, do anything. It did mean you didn't, you didn't want to stay outside more than about 30 minutes and then you were diving into a cafe, but that's why we were there anyway. Yeah. But, um, but Tallinn, the, the old town is just this beautifully preserved medieval city. You know, it's got, town walls and, and towers everywhere and, and Russian Orthodox churches, all these spires. And we're just there in, you know, sub-zero temperatures. There's snow everywhere and it feels kind of abandoned, you know? And I think, I think in the back of my mind, that's where I got this idea of like, because I knew I wanted a dead city in, in the, you know, in one sense. And I think that was there, you know, like this is in some ways the most, dead city i've been in that's actually a city you know? yeah. <laughs> like, i know there's people here but i don't see them you know <laughs> and everything's still and quiet and kind of creepy and but also it's medieval and you know yeah sure so. oh wow oh amazing so it all sort of ties in it's got it's got to be there it's got to be there that was the inspiration yeah, it does and in fact um i wrote that story down somewhere and um terrace cassidy who runs a company called geek nation tours Turns out he's a big Frostgrave fan, and, and it ended up organizing a tour to Tallinn. Um, so 12 of us went there for, I guess, a week. I can't remember, about a week, and basically did tourist stuff during the day, and then we played Frostgrave all night, and it was just that fantastic experience, you know. Yeah, you're playing that sounds great fun. Frostgrave in the kind of basement of this medieval, what's been turned into a hotel, but, you know, and outside it's freezing, and, you know, it was just, <laughs> Great experience and great tying it together that way. No, that sounds like it would have been great fun. I'd be surprised if they're still not doing that. Well, it was, it was lucky that so that was in that was in the February because we were trying to get to all the freezing and snow this time. But in the February before lockdowns, so literally, like I remember flying out there, hearing the news about COVID and all that's coming yeah. and everything. But of course, at that point, you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then you come back and you realize, bam, that is the last thing you're gonna do for. <laughs> 16 well, months yeah. or whatever so yeah, was, i actually feel really fortunate we got it in yeah. yeah well hopefully when we're all back out of lockdown we can start getting back to that sort of stuff 
Yeah, I'm ready for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, one of, one of the reasons why I started this podcast was because of lockdown and just trying to reach out to people and just shout about our yeah. shop as well, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah, but it's been, it's been great in a way for me because I've had a chance to meet people like yourself and loads of other creators and things. So, you know, trying to take the positives where you can, I guess. Yep. <laughs> I think you have to, or you go crazy. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, right. So, so that's Frostgrave and yep. obviously what really want to talk to you about Stargrave as well. So yep. the pre-orders for that, I think are going up either soon or already up yep. when this is being recorded. So, um, with Stargrave, was that, I'll, I'll be looking at a sort of Frostgrave in space. Or, yeah, I mean, it's, there's been this kind of online controversy about whether it's a reskin or not. And um, the answer to that really comes down to what you believe a reskin is, you know. I mean, is it Frostgrave in space? Yes, on, on one level. Um, it's using the same kind of core D20 mechanics that, that Frostgrave uses. Yeah. Um, but, you know... In some ways, I don't like to call it a reskin because it sounds like that makes it sound like I didn't do any work. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, actually this was a lot of work. Because um, you know, it, it it is more about just more than just changing you know a bow to a gun. You know, the the entire way the flow of the game plays has changed. So so in Frostgrave, you're very focused on these wizards, and it's it's what spells you cast that really kind of determine the outcome of the game more than anything yeah. else. Um, and you've got a system somewhat like that in Stargrave. So in the Stargrave, you have your captain and your first mate, and they have these powers um, that in some ways overlap the wizards. So if you want to play a kind of space wizard, you can. But there's a lot of other kind of options. So you can play like a soldier or a rogue, and their powers are very different than kind of things that were seen in in Frostgrave, and a lot of the powers are less direct. Um, you know, they're more about, you know, your soldier can kind of coordinate the fire among the group and, yeah. um, you know, and, and tweak the weapons beforehand. And, um, and what, I mean, one of the things I found when, when playtesting it, which I didn't fully appreciate, even though I probably should have, is just handing everybody a gun in the game makes for a much different game because in Frostgrave you do have your archers and stuff but essentially everybody has to kind of run at each other and beat on each other with sticks yeah but if you give everybody a projectile weapon all of a sudden running at the enemy no longer makes a lot of sense so <laughs> so the flow of the game works really differently and then it was about how figuring out how that new flow worked with the kind of powers that you would have yeah and um, so one of the things I found was you know in Frostgrave, your wizard casting a spell is the biggest, scariest thing that can happen. In Stargrave, that's actually not true. The biggest, scariest thing that can happen is a guy fires a grenade right into the midst of your guys. Yeah. You know? so, so how can I, I tweak those powers so that there's still things you want and things that influence the game? You know, it still keeps keeps those characters relevant and the best characters. And, and that really kind of, yeah. So it was kind of finding that balance and that mesh. And I think, and what I hope is that, you know, Again, you get a really different play experience playing Stargrave than you do yeah. playing Frostgrave. You know, I do want you to be, it's still to be a very narrative driven and, and story driven, but 
but that you're thinking about how you move your pieces differently and, and the decisions you make during the game are different so that, you know, you actually have a reason to play, say, I'd rather play Stargrave than, than Frostgrave tonight. Not just because I feel like spaceships instead of, you know, trolls. Yeah. But. yeah. <laughs> no, I totally, totally yeah. get that. So with the, so with the background, what's the background with Stargrave this time around? Because with Frost, Frostgrave, obviously okay. everyone's convert, like coming down onto this one city. Right. Yeah. Which, which in some ways proved a lot easier <laughs> to kind of contain everything. Whereas, um, so yeah, in Stargrave, the, the background, and I, I try to keep the background pretty light on all my games so that yeah. the players can interpret it in their own way. But essentially you had these two great empires in, in this galaxy. They went to war and just mutually annihilated each other. And um, so now there's, there's these kind of big pirate fleets that roam around and um, kind of take whatever they want. And there's nobody to stop them because there's, there's no central authority left. Yeah. And um, so you're, you're playing uh, the captain of what I call the independent cruise, which is a small group that basically flies around trying to make a living, but has to kind of keep quiet about it because there's these giant pirate fleets who will stomp on anyone who either, you know, is making too much money or is threatening them or whatever. But, um, so again, I'm leaving it, I want to leave it completely up to the players to like why you're flying around, you know, like yeah. The, the name of the game is still about, you know, getting stuff, but but you can have very different reasons for why you want that stuff. You know, if you want to play the rebels and you're building up your, you know, your your forces and your power to strike back at the the pirates, that's great. You can do that. If you want to be a bounty hunter, you can just be a bounty hunter. If you want to be, you know, an art collector who's flying it, it, yeah. you know the ruins of the galaxy looking for the mona lisa you can do that and um and you know some of the some of the captain backgrounds will kind of lean more to that than the other but again you know there's no reason you can't have a cyborg art collector or you know yeah. a so again, you know, just psionic that, freedom fighter yeah so you're just giving you giving us that sort of flexibility again to just sort of go into it how we want yeah to. i mean the, the the kind of horrible freedom of it of course is I have this entire galaxy to play with, you know, yeah. literally like, so like anything you can imagine, you don't even have to justify it. It's just like, there's an infinite number of planets. You can just, if you want, if you've got the terrain, throw it on the table, you're playing Stargrave. Um, yeah. That makes it a little more difficult to write scenarios. And, and I worried about it for a while. And then I just went after it, you know, like, <laughs> so I got scenarios set on small planets. I got them set in, you know, spaceships and, and, and I, I talk a little bit more than I did in Frostgrave say about like, don't worry about this. You know, if, if I say swamp and you don't have swamp, that's fine. Set it in a forest. Yeah. Just, you know, if I say, put a building here, put a building here. It doesn't really matter what the building looks like. You know, it can be, you know, a bunker or it can be a ruined farmhouse. Just put the building there. And yeah. So I hope people see it as, I mean, one of the reasons I write these games is just, to give people the excuse to collect the stuff they want. Cause that's, that's what I always wanted. You know, yeah. that's one of the main reasons I wrote Frostgrave was I had a bunch of wizard figures and no game to play with a bunch of wizard figures. So, and yeah, I just want to want you to go like, Oh, there's a cool alien model. I really want that. Oh, and there's my yeah. justification. I can work it into yeah, a Yeah, We'll get a crew for him now as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a facilitator. That's <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's brilliant. So, uh, what's all about like the challenges with, with Stargrave? Then, did you find as well that 
I suppose it would it have been more challenging you saying like you know just coming up with the ability sure but then what about the different yeah. you know the, the sort of when you when you're talking about sci-fi technology which could essentially do anything a spell could anything. do so yeah you, you, you've always got that same sort of challenge there again haven't you of it being so wide spanning that Open. you're like where do I start yeah yeah I mean luckily by the time I came to do Stargrave I, I kind of had a lot of experience doing that sort of thing and and it's funny because in that's one of the few times during the game, during the game construction process, where I start with mechanics as opposed to kind of narrative. I like to, you know, I write kind of the basic rules for the game and then all the powers in the same way as all the spells tend to be kind of like about breaking the rules. You know, like yeah. how can I allow you to break the rules that won't break the game, but, but do something interesting during it. And, um, so yeah, in, in this case, when I wrote Frostgrave, I, I, I did that, but while tying it to kind of schools of magic to kind of give me an anchor point. And, and here I used backgrounds. So like, like I said, you got the cyborg or you've got the robot expert, you've got the soldier. And um, so I started to think like, what kind of powers could a soldier have? And they're not powers in the kind of superhero sense in this yeah. case. In fact, I just called them powers because I couldn't think of anything better that covered all these different things. In the case of the soldier, it's it's more like skills or kind of tricks he's learned and that, that yeah. sort of thing. But um, so I kind of did like, here's my list of things I'd like a soldier to be able to do. Of course, then I broke it by saying that, you know, even if you're a soldier, you could still have a power from over here. You just won't be quite as good at it, you know, yeah. kind of thing, because I want people to feel free to mix and match. But, but by having those anchor points, it, it really helped me kind of yeah, I think, because, yeah, it is infinite possibility. Yeah, well, narratively, that makes sense as well, because if these guys are sort of flying around the galaxy, they're meeting new people, they might learn a skill just a little bit, but not enough to really master yeah. it. Exactly, exactly. And I just, like, I want to give, again, yeah, players the ability to, like, just chart their own destiny. So you can, if, if you're going along and you think, oh, I just really wish my guy could do this one trick, then, okay, he can have it, you know, and you can even develop that. But, you know, that's what yeah. you're focused on. But, um, and it, to be honest, it also helps with balance because, you know, if everybody can theoretically have everything, you don't have to balance it in the same way as if you yeah. can say, you know, only only dwarves can do this and only elves can do that. You know? Yeah, and it's a nice narrative, you know, for, for people like myself that just absolutely love narrative. You know, you can build your, yeah. your character's story just by the abilities that they have. And I think that's a really nice Yeah, part. absolutely. I wanted people to, you know, one of the reasons I kept that background light is I want people to be able to, set the game in kind of their favorite sci-fi universe if that's what they want so you know it's pretty easy to to transport it to star wars all of a sudden the pirates become the imperials yeah and you know you're you can play han solo you can play a jedi whatever by just combining the powers in the way that you want um you know or firefly because it's if, if firefly is probably a better fit because you've got this kind of past war that yeah. that's kind of left everything ruined um it works for Star Trek if, if you've seen Discovery and you're you know you're in the future Federation where it's falling yeah. apart. But um but that was actually a useful one for me because I kind of at points I would think like the galaxy is now at Star Wars level. It used to be at Star Trek level, you know. Right. So when I'm writing kind of advanced tech you can find, I'm thinking this is something that they would have had in Star Trek, but they don't have in Star Wars. So it's a real treasure yeah. to find it. You know. So it was good for me to kind of have those kind of things in my head and 
use oh. it. And, but then oh, kind of generify it so that people can yeah. see it any way they want. You know? Yeah, and give people that reason just to keep sort of digging around for new stuff as well. And there's always going to be some exactly. sort of trinket, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, and then, you know, you can layer alien civilizations in there if you want. And, you know, yeah. again, anything. Yeah. And while that's amazingly, that's amazing as a creator, it's also really hard. And the hard part for me this time was writing a bestiary. Because in Frostgrave, I was able to go like, first, I'm just going to do some generic fantasy monsters, the ones that everybody uses. Then I'm going to do like cold weather stuff. And I'm going to do demons because we have wizards that deal with demons and undead. Then you get to Stargrave, and I'm like, the entire galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every form of life you can imagine exists in some corner. What the heck am I going to put in the book? Yeah. Was there a temptation uh, to yeah. go? Oh, sorry. There's a bit of a delay. Um, yeah. No, all I was going to no, say you go was, ahead. Yeah, so was, was there a, a temptation to go down, say, like the, the sort of HP Lovecraft route of these sort of tentacle uh, so there's, there's there's kind of one one of those and there's a there's a animal called the war pound who's kind of based on the, the hounds of tendalus in that like he just shows up you know yeah. he just kind of appears and basically he just wants to kill someone and you have no idea why and <laughs> once he kills somebody he, he blips out again you know like yeah and it's just kind of oh what was that it's totally random <laughs> so I like that a little bit of that element. I don't want to kind of bring it in too heavy because it's such a a strong flavor. Is, you know, yeah. you know, it's very much a, a flavor of doom. And and while that, you know, you could kind of you can certainly play Stargrave that way. I mean, you're in a devastated galaxy after all, so it is kind of grim. But I do want to leave it open so that if you know you are the light in that galaxy and you know you are fighting for a better future, then you can do so. But if yeah. you want to revel in the grimness, you can you can do that too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, brilliant. Um, well, the last thing I want to talk about, and it's the same thing I talk to everyone about when I want to do a podcast, is what's on your hobby table at the moment. <laughs> well, I can I can literally show you because my hobby table is right in front of me. Excellent. As I speak. So I've got it. You probably won't be able to see it, but so I'm I'm doing some um, snake men. Which um, so the Reaper kind of bones, I think they call them Nagandra or something like that. But um, for for Ghost Archipelago, which is the the Frostgrave spinoff set in yeah. in Jungly Islands, um, and I've also got some of the new um, uh, BattleTech uh, Battle Mechs that they put out, the new plastic ones. Which um, I'm a big BattleTech universe fan from back in the day. This you know. I don't really play the game very much, but they they finally I think put out some models that are as cool as their background after right. after 30 years <laughs> of having kind of wonky looking robots. They, they finally put out some really good ones, um, so I'm doing that. And um, a friend just sent me Star Wars Legion, which um, I'm both thankful for and, and curse him for because I've been striving to like not get into it. Um, Really, the only reason I didn't want to get into it is because it's 35 mil or whatever scale it is, and it just doesn't quite fit with everything else I've got. So I was like, oh, no, no, I'm going <laughs> to, so, you know, who doesn't want to paint a few, few, you know, rebels? So it's such a drill, you know, yeah, exactly. And then they'll be perfectly usable for Stargrave as long as I use all of them, you know, and um, 
if not, there's there's bits and pieces I can use from it. But um, but generally, I like you know with Frostgrave or Stargrave, I'm I like I buy the miniatures and then I tend to worry about what I'm using them for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, for me, the whole hobby starts with the miniatures. You know, like those look cool. I'm gonna buy those. I'm gonna paint those. And if there's a game to go with it, I'll try that out. If I don't like that game, I'll take the miniatures and I'll use them for this other game. So, yeah. yeah, the rule of you know, I mean, like the mechs. Exactly. I know these battle mechs will fit right into Stargrave. You know, if you want the, the big clunky robot in your yeah. gang, you can just chuck one of them in. Yeah. So, looking forward to that. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And, and, you know, hopefully when we all get back out and we can start gaming in, in the shop and stuff like that, it'd be, it'd be great to get some campaigns of Stargrave, Frostgrave going, I think. I'll like say there's a few yeah. guys that play at the moment, but we're looking to do some sort of campaigns and things in the shop. I think it'd be really good fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that I've grown to understand, which has always been true of me, but I didn't fully kind of appreciate is till recently, is how much of wargaming takes place away from the actual game table. You know, how much of the enjoyment of the hobby I get. And obviously there's painting, but but just thinking about it, you know, getting ready for a game and talking about the game afterwards. And so I'm, I'm very much trying to kind of craft games now that that help facilitate that, you yeah. know, and give you. So you got that narrative and you build it while you play and then that just gets you fired up for the next one. And, you know, hopefully while you're in the gaming store, you see the new X model and you're thinking, next scenario we play, there's going to be one of those on the table, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I haven't figured out how we're getting it in there yet, but we're getting it's it going in, in. Yeah, it's going in somehow. <laughs> exactly. Oh, He's got to be in that house to investigate. Yeah, yeah. Joe, <laughs> uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for no joining yeah. this in the podcast. Um, this is probably going to be going up, well, either this, well, in the next day or two. So okay. going up so I can let you know as soon as it's going to go up. Um, yep. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me and um, no problem yeah thanks very much okay everyone so that was joe for this week talking about frostgrave and the hotly anticipated stargrave thank you all so much for uh, all your continued support and all the downloads and the pod and the support i've been getting through the shop as well uh, it's really greatly appreciated for our little shop and our hobby community in the middle of the kent thanks very much everyone take care and i'll see you again next time <laughs>